The reviews are in, and we're going to tell you what they are. He's Todd Vandenberg. I'm Rob Steele. And if we sound disjointed, it's because Todd's camera has frozen, and I can't really see what he's doing. He may be gesturing that says, hey, I want to say something, and he might not. I wouldn't know. I can't see him. I will tell you what he's going to look like after I mention this first news story, though. He's going to have a smile on his face. You know how I know this? I have a smile on my face thinking about it. It may not be on my actual face because I don't smile that much, but that's not the point. This is a good story. It is the best, in my head, best Star Trek news we've heard in years. And yes, I'm including Picard because I think it might be just that much better. And this is still, unfortunately, very much still a rumor. But it's a rumor about the guy who told us about Picard X several years ago. So he's got some credibility going on. He allegedly works for Paramount. I can't confirm that because I don't actually know who he is. I don't care. He said this week that we might be getting the return of Benjamin Sisko. Because CBS is reportedly in talks with Avery Brooks about bringing back the emissary to the prophets, the captain of Deep Space Nine. I want this to happen. There is no word on whether it's going to be an appearance on Picard or the sub rumor that he's getting his own series. Either way, I just want it to happen because personally, DS9 was my favorite track. I know I'm in the minority on that. Don't care. I want Cisco. <laughs> I will just say, I am happy for you. I personally, eh, that's okay. That's cool. But it doesn't like change my, doesn't change my week. But uh, it's not, it's not exactly bad news either now, is it? So more oh, Trek, more Trek is good. I, I'll agree. I, I'm just, they, they kind of ended DS9 on a cliffhanger kind of thing. And so I'm, I'm kind of, finish it, finish it. <laughs> so Decades later. Yeah, decades later. But you know what? Don't care. Just finish it. I agree. Yeah, see, that's good news, as opposed to this, which is not necessarily good news. It concerns Mulan, one of the many incarnations of Mulan, which I think has to be pronounced that way, with that kind of a smug attitude in the middle of it. I think it should. Um, Disney's recent big live-action version of Mulan uh, kind of came and went because it was on Disney Plus and we didn't hear a whole lot about it. They wanted it to be in theaters, but it never happened because something about a pandemic. I don't know. Something like that. But it hit Chinese theaters in September and was pretty much instantly ignored. Uh, didn't It did not do well at all whatsoever. It has nothing to do with the controversy about where they filmed it and all that crap that's going on with uh, the American version. I think it has to do with the story itself because apparently a company called Gold Valley Films made a 3D animated version of Mulan called Kung Fu Mulan. (laughs) And it opened in theaters. It's the same story. Uh, This one was just being sold as Real China Real Mulan. Okay. It flopped. It flopped hard. Um, to the point of, let's see, the 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 ratings in in China for the Disney Mulan was 4.9, but the average for the Kung Fu Mulan was 3.1. So that's worse. You, I'm thinking maybe it's the story, which is a good would, story. But yeah, you would, you would think they would go to the Disney version since they the ones who did see it liked it better. But who knows? I don't know. I, I don't live in China. I I like their food. <laughs> Which, by the way, you know what Chinese food is called in China? Food. Food. Exactly. Just saying. 
Uh, let's see. Mulan went straight to uh, streaming, and so is Coming to America, not Mulan, the movie Coming to America with a number two in the middle of it, the Eddie Murphy. And uh, who, who else is in that? I, f- I want to say Arsenio, and I know that's wrong. It's Arsenio. It, is it? Yeah, it's Arsenio. Okay. Well, in the first one, I'm assuming. Okay, in he's second. in this one, too. They got the whole cast. Yeah. Anyway, it's coming directly to Amazon Prime for Christmas. Do you care? I'm not sure. I. I have to admit, I didn't care for the first one, but... I like the first one. It's not one of my favorites, but I like it. So, yeah, Christmas present. Yay. Hopefully a Christmas present. Yeah. Hopefully not a bad thing, which we will talk about bad things later in the show. There there will be bad things later. Um, good thing. I saw a trailer this week for a movie called The 355. I have no idea why it's called that. Uh, but it's about female secret agents from around the world, from all these different organizations that have to join forces to stop a terrorist group. Looked like it was going to be a really good action movie. No, you're not going to get Oscars or Golden Globes or anything out of this movie, but it looks fun. So something to look forward to when slash if theaters reopen. Maybe someone's driving a 67 Cuda. That's the first thing I thought of. Oh, 355. Cool. Maybe not. I'm sure there's a car reference in there somewhere and I have missed it. <laughs> so I watch Top Gear. It doesn't help. Um Let's see. I guess the only other real news story we've got this week comes from Disney Plus, which has relabeled its non-Marvel, uh, non-Marvel Cinematic Universe movies as Marvel Legacy movies. The, right. I kind of get it, but at the same time, yeah, I get it. <clears throat> well, I, I, I can, well, I, I can see why it's important to make the distinction because you have one group of Marvel movies which are overall excellent, and you have another group of Marvel movies which are <clears throat> not so. Crap. So I would, yeah, and it's better than Marvel crap movies. So I think it's important they make that distinction. And that's that's a fairly safe way to do it. Plus, it is a legacy bequeathed to them by Fox, who didn't know what the hell they were doing. So there you go. That is true. But, you know, speaking of legacies, I'm going to get into the two main movies I watched this week. And they're sequels to a movie. I think it was last week I reviewed the first one of these, uh, which was It Man, which was a biographical kind of film. Uh, <clears throat> this week, It Man 2. And you know what? I'll get to 3 right after it. Basically, It Man 2 starts shortly after the events of It Man 1. Um, it's a couple years later. It Man is now living in Hong Kong with his pregnant wife. He, um, his pregnant wife and son. The son is not the one that's pregnant. It's the wife. Anyway, he tries to start a martial arts school because that's what he does. And after some initial trouble, he learns that there are rules. He must defeat the other masters in the area to prove he's good enough before he opens a school. Uh, one of those masters is actually played by Sammo Hong. So, yay, he gets to be in the movie. <laughs> cool. He's a lot better than a lot of people think he is. Um, there are two other masters that I really liked in this who reminded me a lot of Statler and Waldorf, but in more of a <laughs> they can kick ass kind of way. Yes, I'm talking about the two Muppets in the balcony. But only this time Chinese and martial arts experts. They're fun. I like them. Um, so anyway, there's not a whole lot of with that in the story. But then there's the fee. Is there a fee? I have to pay you a fee to run my school. Hitman refuses to pay the fee, but teaches anyway and trouble ensues. Turns out the fee is to pay off a British police officer, which, you know, Hong Kong in the 50s, they rule it now. And the cop, uh, the cop is a dick. This is not a spoiler. He's played by a guy named Charles Mayer, who is pretty much a dick in anything you've ever seen him in. And I'm going to include, I suspect, real life. 
he just has that look that you know how you meet some see somebody from a distance and you go i'm not gonna like him right. because of the look on it that's this guy he's made for this role so that works. Uh, let's see. There's an exhibition uh, exhibition match between Chinese martial arts and Western boxing where the champion boxer is played by a guy named Darren. I apologize for the mispronunciation of your last name. Shalavi, who is in a lot of stuff ranging from Once Upon a Time to Merlin. He was in Arrow. He was in the new version of Kickboxer. You might recognize him. And that's basically your bad guys for the movie. I'm not going to tell you how it completely turns out. Although since it's is biographical, you can kind of guess. Um, yes, this one is also subtitled, but there is English sometimes and they subtitle that too. Ha ha ha. So there, take that. Now, this is also one of the great martial arts movies stemming on from it man one, which was spectacular for the cinematography, the choreography, and you know what? This one picks up with that. It is spectacular. Uh, there's even a really awesome cameo kind of at the end. I'm not going to tell you who it is, and neither is Todd. I won't. Okay. Um, so it's it's a really great movie. I'm honestly going to really highly suggest It Man 1 and 2. It's Eric Trump. But then there's three. It's not Eric Trump. <laughs> three did have someone else show up that I was not expecting and this is actor wise uh, it three is still biographical because it man did exist but this one it, the movie itself is not put together very well in my opinion it seems like two movies that were squished together uh, the first one concerned the school that it man's son was sent to and the school was being uh bullied is not the right term extorted maybe by a guy who wanted to take it over for his business because it's prime real estate so he sends thugs to the school to beat up the owner slash principal of the school and guess what it man didn't like that so he and his disciples by the way i'm gonna do there's some spoilers in this but it's a biography so make it that what you wish <clears throat> it man and his disciples show up to stop him uh when this big fight scene occurs, there he meets another master who from the same branch of martial arts as him, which is kind of cool. And we'll get back to him in a minute. because so I did want to mention the bad guy of the first first story in this movie. And it's not so much who the who the character is. It's just a big American business guy. It's who played him because I was not expecting Mike frickin Tyson <laughs> to be in this movie. But you know what? He's not bad. He did actually do a pretty good job of this. He's not going to win an Oscar or anything, but he's not uh -huh. bad, um, which I found really surprising. The second, because as soon as we're done with Mike Tyson, bam, we're done with Mike Tyson. Spoiler, he doesn't come back. No, he doesn't. It, it, it's not for the reason you think it is. It's just we've stopped at that part of the story. Hmm. Okay. So we move on to the second part of the story, which focuses around that guy who helped him out in the fight earlier. Yeah, we're back to him. He says he wants to be proclaimed as the best in China, so he challenges all the masters like Ip Man did in, in, in the second movie. And we've seen movies like this before, but this one is biographical. The new guy shows up and he wants to be the best and, well, the current best doesn't like the idea and mayhem ensues. But you know what? It's a little bit different this time because there's a subplot going on about the health of Ip Man's wife, which is sad and it's depressing, and it slows the movie almost to a complete halt. But because it's a biography, kind of, and that's how it happened, there's not much you can really do about that, is there? 
So that goes into the whole thing with the challenge from the new guy. But you know what? It Man 3 is just not as good as 1 or 2 because it's storyline-wise, it's just disjointed. It doesn't it doesn't work as a movie. It could have been two TV episodes, but uh-huh. it doesn't work as a movie. Um, the fight scenes, the fight scenes are still incredible. And for that alone, you should probably watch this. If you like fight scenes, this is something you're going to like. Just don't expect it to be as good storyline-wise as one or two. Now, yes, there is a four. Have I watched it yet? No. Guess what I suspect will be coming next week? Because I'll have time by then. In the meantime, uh, I don't know. It, it's It's been a long week already. It, it, you know, Parts good, parts bad. It's kind of a... Could I call it a Jekyll and Hyde week? <laughs> you could call it a Jekyll and Hyde year. Actually, it's more of a Hyde year. It's more of a Hyde... It's a run in Hyde year. Yeah, it's definitely a Hyde year. But... That is, of course, an excellent link to... Thank you. Or is it a segue? Yeah, it's one of those things. Yeah, I'm talking about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I'm talking about several versions of it. Uh, There are at least 49 film versions of this story, including things like Dr. Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde, Son of Dr. Jekyll, Daughter of Dr. Jekyll, on and on and on and on and on. Uh, I actually watched... Extraordinary Gentleman? I'm just talking about ones that actually have it in the title, let alone, like you mentioned in pre-pro, Hi Ted, The Incredible Hulk, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, when you go to that route, he's in, there's about a hundred TV episodes that he's in. There are at least three production, movie productions coming up, three separate movie productions of Jekyll and Hyde. So, yeah. Uh, And actually, that's a good thing because there has been one good version of the story that came out 13 years ago, and it's a BBC miniseries, and I'll get to that, although I actually talked about it a few years ago on this show. Uh, other than that, there has not been a really good version of this uh, for, this is not an exaggeration, <clears throat> for mm, 70-odd years. So, yeah, uh, the first version of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which is really good, is actually 100 years old. Yes, came out in 1920. It is a silent film, of course, because they did not have sound in films until 1929. Stars John Barrymore. You may be familiar with that last name. Drew, who is his great niece. She's the daughter of Lionel, his brother, who is Mr. Potter, the evil Mr. Potter, one of the all-time great villains. So his brother played one of the all-time great villains. So this came out in 1920. And if you somehow don't know what the story is, basically... Dr. Henry Jekyll is a very nice man who has decided to do some experimenting on the nature, the dual nature of man, the good side, the evil side. And he determines because in every version he's challenged by someone, he gets the germ of this idea to study this. And he decides, oh, I'm going to make a serum and I'm going to test it. Well, he tests it on himself and it doesn't have good results because it frees his evil side. And he goes out and does evil things in every version of this. So in the 1920 version, obviously the acting is a little stilted because they had to be very expressive because they're trying to convey emotions without you hearing what they're saying. Uh, Taking that into account, the 1920 version is very, very good. Barrymore does an excellent job. Uh, The makeup, and basically it's done with makeup, uh, and he juts his jaw to some extent. He... He uses dark, uh, like eyeliner. He has a, like a longer wig on to make himself look 
a little more wild. Uh, the transformation scenes, they happen in camera, but they're nothing elaborate. I mean, it's 1920, but it's, it's very well done. The, he does bad things to people, it gets worse. Spoiler alert, it gets to the point where he cannot control the transformation, so he no longer has to take the drug to turn into Hyde. And Hyde comes out at inopportune moments, let's put it that way. Let's move on to the 1931 version. So Hollywood has been doing remakes, as you can tell, for a long time. So 11 years later, the 1920 version was very popular. Let's do it again. This time they did it with Frederick March, who was an up-and-coming actor at the time. Ruben Mamoulian, who is one of the top directors at the time. 1931, they'd only been doing sound for a few years. Uh, this is <clears throat> a gentleman who won the Oscar for Best Actor in a horror film. So horror films used to get a little bit more respect than they, than they have ever since then, basically. So March is excellent as Jekyll and Hyde. The makeup is much more pronounced in this version. It's probably the most uh, exaggerated version of it. He almost looks like some proto-Simian creature. Uh, super hairy, huge, heavy eyebrows, fangs, basically. So it's a big, big change. And it is done in camera, done really, really well. Remember, 1931, pretty good effects. Same storyline. Uh, he is engaged to be married, and yet he's off fooling around because his evil side is coming out and he <clears throat> spoiler alert he does a few murders and you know seriously this thing was written i believe 1887 so not much of a spoiler i i think we've got the thing going that if it's more than 40 years old yeah you should you should yeah. at least know roughly what some most of the story is at this point yeah and in this case it's like 150 years old almost so but same basic path how he Goes where man is not meant to go, blah, blah, blah. Although that's actually a line from Frankenstein, but it applies here. Uh, and again, March is excellent in this version. Let's jump forward another 10 years. Yes, just 10 years later, they did another remake. Oh, and by the way, this is not the third version. This is at least the fourth version because they also did a, I think, 20, no, 12-minute version in 1912, I believe it was. And I actually watched that this week. And yes, that is on Amazon Prime too. So, uh as you can tell, it's pretty much a bare bones version. So it's more of an interesting note that, hey, there's a version earlier than the 1920 version. So this is a popular story in Hollywood. So let's jump forward to 1941. 1941 has some big talent involved. Victor Fleming is the director. That's only the guy who directed Gone of the Wind <clears throat> and the guy who directed The Wizard of Oz. So kind of a big name director, right? Spencer, Spencer Tracy, who is arguably the biggest box office star in 1941, if not Clark Gable. It's one of those two. Yeah. Uh, Ingrid Bergman, a very big star at that point. And Lana Turner, who was not quite a big star at that point, but was well on her way to becoming one. And she actually got top billing in three of her previous four movies. So she was a pretty big star. <clears throat> so basically think of, oh, I don't know, we're going to do Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and we're going to have, hell, let's go with George Clooney, and Scarlett and, Hef, and Scarlett Johansson and the Rock uh, and now uh, and I don't know uh, Charlize Theron. So you know, big big stars, not the kind of people you typically see doing horror movies. So this was a huge project, huge project, <clears throat> and it is really really good. There's a it's a longer, so there's a little bit more story to it than there is in the 1920 version or any other version, basically. And it's not so much padding as just fleshing out the story, which I think was uh, important 
important to the case. Tracy is excellent because uh, Tracy's a pretty good actor. Uh, one of the interesting things is it's done with less, uh, they don't really use any prosthetics or appliances. It's again, back to makeup like it was done in 1920. And Tracy juts his jaw to some extent. He's wearing a wig, he has heavier eyebrows. But basically he's creating the persona more than, uh, uh, more just prosthetics. And, and March was excellent as Hyde. I'm not saying it was all just the, the uh, costuming, but Tracy, it's more of him creating the Hyde character. Uh, and in this instance, Ingrid Bergman is the secondary character. She's this barmaid that he comes across that he's infatuated with. Hyde is and decides that he's going to have her as a kept woman and does really horrible things to her. Uh, this being 1941, they can't really show it very much, but they insinuate plenty. Uh, and Lana Turner is his is Dr. Jekyll's intended bride. And she winds up getting mistreated as well. There are some really interesting sequences in his first transformation into Hyde. There's this odd, almost dream sequence where Jekyll sees himself and it's a view like looking up and he's obviously driving a carriage and he's whipping, he's shaming, you know, cracking his whip. And you see the two horses running. There's a black horse and a white horse. Ah, duality, right? You see him whipping again. And now you see Ingrid Bergman and Lana Turner they're not like in the actual traces, but they're in the same exact position. And from what you can tell, they're not wearing any clothes. Although again, 1941, so you just see like their bare shoulders, but obviously the insinuation there. So that's a really weird uh, and interesting aesthetic that they put out there. It's like, wow, that's pushing it for 1941. And there are a few other moments like that where like, that's pretty crazy and creative. So and another excellent version. The last version of this, which is which was worth anything, and there have been dozens, as I said. There are two musical versions of it, at least, if you can imagine that. There's a terrible, yeah. There's a terrible TV <laughs> movie version with uh, Michael Caine. Caine is good, but the rest of it is just absolutely atrocious and and barely is worth calling Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. There's one with Jack Palance, for God's sakes. Oh, one of the musical versions has David Hasselhoff. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, the last good version came out in 2007. It's a BBC production. It's a miniseries. It's six episodes. And it's simply called Jekyll. Uh, excellent. Excellent thing. That is also available. All of these, by the way, are available on Amazon Prime. Uh, so they're likely available on other sources, too. It's just that's, that's where I came across them. Uh, well, I know... Most of them are available on Voodoo, for example. So uh, Jekyll changes the story up uh, quite a bit. Uh, it, it is set in modern times, and he is involved with a major pharmaceutical company, and it's part of their experimentation of going to this duality of, of man thing. And James Nesbitt is the actor in this case. He does a fantastic job, and there is no makeup whatsoever. It's all him creating this persona of, of the evil Hyde, he's he's tremendous. So I'm all all on board with them doing another version. I hope one of the three is good because God knows, uh, like I said, they've been trying since 1941 to do a good version of this. 1941, guys, that's 79 years ago. And they've managed to do one good version since then. So I'm looking forward to the next version of Jekyll and Hyde, but there are three out there 
four, no, actually, like which would be really good. Who would you like to see? I would like see to see Burn Gorman as, as the Jekyll Hyde character. That would be really good. You know, I was thinking it's a shame that Jack, that Hitchcock never did Jekyll and Hyde because, and he kind of did. He kind of skirted around the edges a few times, but he never did the actual story. Uh, I'd love to see, again, I'd love to see Christopher Nolan tackle it. Uh, you know, I mean, there are a lot of directors I'd like to see. Just not Michael right Bay. Now. There would be too many lens flares. And uh, no, yeah, someone like Aronofsky, someone like that would be great. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people who who should be jumping on this. So, anyway, Jekyll and Hyde. There are four versions which are really worth watching. Uh, there are about forty others. Which, please God, save your save your soul and don't watch them. I think we're on to another story about it's a great good story, and, good and evil. Yep, that we both watched. We did, which is weird, isn't it? Though. Um, <laughs> Thing is, we kind of watched it a few years ago, but it came mm -hmm. out again. Only this time it's different? Yeah. Question mark? In an odd way. And we're talking about the in the DC animated universe movies. This one was Batman Death in the Family. Now, if you're not familiar with the Death in the Family storyline, uh, came around in, I believe it was, what was it, 80, 87, 88, somewhere in there. Somewhere in there, yeah. Uh, with the second Robin, because Dick Grayson grew up and left and became Nightwing. Second Robin, Jason Todd. A lot of people did not like him. And I, I'm for not talking about characters. I mean fans. For good cause. Did did, did not like him. And so they ended one, uh, one issue with he's been kidnapped. He's had the crap beaten out of him. Uh, he's chained up in a warehouse. There's a bomb. Do you want him to live? Call this number. Do you want him to die? Call this number. And the poll, and I remember seeing this years ago, there were over 60,000 people who voted and it was down to a less than 30 vote difference, but they killed him, which sent shockwaves through the entire uh, comic industry and, and beyond a bit, I think, because when you think of, think of superheroes at all, Batman and Robin come to mind. Yep. Uh, and they just killed Robin. Wait, what? Really? Um, now, they did bring Jason Todd back, but it wasn't until uh, the 2000s. So he stayed dead for qu quite a while, especially in comic book terms. Um, but he came back as kind of a bad guy or an extreme good guy, an anti-hero. He's I, right. I actually think that the character he came back as, which is the Red Hood, uh, is who uh, Deadpool is kind of based on. So... Make of that what you wish. Um, but they did. Now, if you're thinking, hang on a minute. If this is the Red Hood storyline that they're doing in this movie, wasn't there already an DC animated movie called <laughs> Under the Red Hood? Why, yes, there was. I even reviewed it a few weeks ago. Yes, he did. Uh, and it's excellent. The thing is, I c the, this version is supposed to be a choose-your-own-adventure version of it with alternate endings. Yes. Here's the catch. I got the digital version, which doesn't have that. Yes. So what I got was a 30-minute recap of Under the Red Hood. There were a couple of extra scenes thrown in that filled the story out a little bit. Um, thanks, I guess. Yeah. But, you know, the, the voiceover with the exposition over the whole 30-minute thing, so we don't have to watch Under the Red Hood again but I actually wouldn't mind watching it again. I would just actually start under the red hood instead of death in the family and go this longer. Ver we get more of the story. Oh, I, um, I would, I would say it's fleshed out a, a little more 
But I would also say I, I, I like the exposition. I like Batman narrating the story up to a point. I think if you're going to do Death in the Family, it would be nice to have more than, I don't know, how many lines did Jason Todd have? Two, three? If. I mean, there's there's very little dialogue in this, and it's 28 minutes long. Uh, and this is just the version that's digital because, as you said, we don't get the alternate endings. And here's what really pisses me off. It's stated, lots of reviews state, and I even saw this on a couple sites that were selling it, said alternate endings. Now, they, you, it wasn't a choose-your-own-adventure type, which is available on the Blu-ray where you click the button and it goes to, to a different path. But they were supposed to have the alternate endings. They don't, which is really, really bad when that's really the whole purpose of this is to see, okay, if Batman had done this, the story changes. Then we get Red Robin instead of the Red Hood. And, on, and there were, you know, like you said, there's four different versions. We don't get any of those. With nope. the digital package, under pain of death, do not buy the digital version. Do not rent the digital version. It's utter bullshit. There is no way on earth that they couldn't have. I can see it might be technically difficult to. That, do, that is the only reason that I can to do of. that. However, Netflix has managed to do that, so that's utter trash too. I can kind of see where maybe different platforms didn't want to invest the money because it takes money because it's going to take a lot of server space. I get that. I can see why they didn't want to do that since it's not exclusive because you can get it on Hulu, not Hulu, but you can get it on Vudu and Apple TV and Prime. I mean, basically Google, any site that you can buy digital content, you can buy it on. I think there's like, or rent it. There's like seven or eight that it's available on. So I can kind of see why they didn't want to invest in it. Well, make a deal and make it available on one thing so we can have the interactive content. But there is no damn reason whatsoever that you didn't include the alternate endings. That is ridiculous. And I am super, as you can tell, pissed about it. That is stupid as hell. That's the whole point of this thing is, oh, what would have happened if, and we don't get the what would have happened. No. That's, that's utter trash. You know, the, 20, the 28 minutes was pretty cool. Could have been a lot better, but not including the alternate endings, which is the only point of doing this freaking story. Wow. Terrible, terrible decision. It, I, I was looking forward to this until I saw it. And then I went, oh, because I don't even think I have a Blu-ray player anymore. So Yeah. The only reason I rented it, I'm super glad I didn't buy the damn thing. The only glad reason I rented it was to be able to do the review for this show. Uh, I still may buy the Blu-ray because I'm hopeful that you know, the at least one of the alternate endings is worthwhile. No way to tell because you can't find out. It does have four other added pieces, though, which is kind They're of They're not odd, alternate endings. Which are not <laughs> alternate endings. There, there are four little middle, mini stories. Each of them takes 16 minutes long, and there are four different other DC characters, which is kind of cool. But I would have rather had the alternate endings, and I'm nuts. So thanks for that decision. Jesus Christ. I, I, I think the people who used to run the movie division have snuck into the animated section because God, that's a terrible choice. I'm very disappointed. Yeah. As you can tell, we're, we're not happy now. I think in pre-pro hi Ted, you said that you did not watch the four additional pieces. Is that correct? Uh, that is correct. I did watch the four additional. Well, pieces. It's cause I was, I was so, I was still kind of pissed about not getting the other. <laughs> I can understand. I, I can't watch these right now. No click. I, I can understand. They, they, four very interesting choices because they're four characters that we hardly get any, any of. Sergeant Rock, I don't think they've mentioned Sergeant Rock 
like ever in the animated universe. I may be wrong, but don't recall ever. No, no. He popped up even in an episode of Justice League. Did he? There was a, it was a time travel episode where they Mm. went back. Vandal Savage was Hitler. Huh? (laughs) Vandal Savage. I'm not sure if they called him Sergeant Rock, but but it was Sergeant Rock Rock and his, his group. And, uh, green, a unpowered John Stewart Green Lantern. Oh, that's cool. Uh, hung out with him basically. Okay. So Sergeant Rock is pops up in in one of the episodes, and we also have, and he actually it's the first episode, followed by an episode with Adam Strange, another one who doesn't get much play very often. He has popped up in Justice League Unlimited, but uh, very, young very briefly. Then we have Phantom Stranger again. He popped up in Justice League. But again, this is a little mini episode with Phantom Stranger. And then they wrap up with death. And I don't think they've done anything with death. No, but it's coming. Right. Because As in death is one of the main characters that goes Sandman. along with Sandman. And right. that's on its way. Uh, the theme of these four episodes is really, really odd. Because they're definitely thinking, oh, we're going to put this out in October. So let's make these Halloween themed and scary. Uh, it's no spoiler to say, yeah, it's kind of a spoiler, so I won't say as much. But uh, the Sergeant Rock is oddly a a horror themed uh, show, which is odd for Sergeant Rock, right? Really, really weird. I mean, it works. It was entertaining. It was worthwhile. I don't really see that it served the Sergeant Rock character like at all, um, because they could have plugged in virtually any DC character because the story wasn't so much about Sergeant Rock. It was about the, the uh, his crew, so I'll just leave it at that. It was it's worth watching. It's entertaining. The Adam Strange one also interesting. Uh, he's fighting ooh alien monsters. Shock, uh, but are very, sadly very derivative of the bugs in Starship Trooper, which is like wow, seriously. Okay, um, it's okay. It's not great. The Phantom Stranger episode was very odd. Set in the '60s, very trippy. Uh, it was. It was the least worthwhile, like as in that was 16 minutes that I it wasn't that. Oh, I can't get those 16 minutes back. But I also could have started taking up knitting or something, uh, something useful because it was just <laughs> it was time wasted. It wasn't bad, but it was absolutely useless. It's like they again, any magical character could have been substituted for Phantom Stranger. And, and it had some odd, very pointed uh, references to calling cops pigs and a guy smoking a joint and you know it's like oh let's make this an adult thing. and and all of it is adult because they're all really violent all four of these uh which again not a problem just saying this is not for your kids in elementary school but it was like they were trying too hard in the in the phantom stranger episode way too hard it was laughable at some points as people are dancing to the groovy music of the 60s it was a I, I'd hoped it was supposed to be a parody, but it wasn't because it wasn't funny. Is it the, the because this is a Warner Brothers produced thing, is, was it the music that they used in the Scooby-Doo cartoons? It probably was, although I don't watch enough Scooby-Doo. And it was and it was similar to the Scooby-Doo stuff because they're in a van. And yeah, it was just it was just it was it was not good. The death episodes paid off, though. The death episode was excellent. Really, really good. It. Actually, you could not have substituted another character for death, which pretty much, which, yeah, you would hope not. But uh, Adam Strange, okay, it would have been hard to substitute. But there are other characters it could have been. 
But Sergeant Rock could have been anybody. The Phantom Stranger could have been any number of a mystical characters. Death had to be death. Uh, it had a very good plot, had an interesting twists. It had an interesting concept and a point to it. It was actually somewhat touching. So it was the only one of the four episodes that was really, that's memorable. Uh, so yeah, they, they, they hit 250 on the four special little vignettes that they added, that they put on instead of what they should have added, which was the alternate endings. So overall, yeah, do not under, like I said, if, if you rent this, the digital version, or I'm assuming buy the digital version, well, you made a huge, a really terrible mistake because you're not getting the whole point of doing the death in the family thing with the alternate endings. You're not even getting them. It's the Blu-ray. I, I don't know. I don't know if it would be worth it because we haven't seen the alternate endings because they're too stupid to make them avail available digitally. It might be worth it. Uh, probably would be worth, I'd tell you what, it'd be definitely worth renting the Blu-ray from Redbox or Netflix. I was Redbox. Right? So it would be worth doing that. If it's worth buying, yeah, hard to tell. Like I said, of the of the four vignettes, Sergeant Rock was entertaining. Uh, Adam Strange, meh. Phantom Stranger, like really meh. But Death was really good. So yeah, uh, I, I gave it two and a half out of five stars because that's to me what it was because Death was worth it. And the Death in the Family story was good and could be really, really good depending on what those alternate endings are like. But yeah, uh, I'm with you that the voiceover narration was like, okay, that's cool, but what? you know, that's like, that's basically the first rule, right? You don't, you show the story, you don't tell the story and they show it, but Batman is telling you what happens. And it's like, what is the point of that? We see it. What on earth? We are saw you it doing? a few years ago when under the red hood came out. Yeah. I mean, he's telling the story to someone else and that works, but they could have done a lot less of that and done more of the actual characters talking really odd choices, really, really odd choices. And especially, yeah, I know we're beating it to the and I don't care because they need to be beaten decision is to not make the alternate endings available digitally. It's like, wow, terrible so basically decision. Our conclusion this week is that death is good. Death is good. But only on screen. <laughs> yes, only, if you're only off screen, on screen. It is not good, which is why I am going to continue to recommend that if you have the opportunity to stay at home, do so because it's not safe out there. I will say this, though, because it is that time of year. And it is that type of year. I'm not going to say get out and go see a movie. I'm going to say get out and vote. It's important yes. if you're going to do that. Wear a mask. And then when you're done, go home and watch a movie. Captain, we're losing power in the warp engines. I think we should be leaving now. I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife. Uh, and on that unusually harmonious bombshell, it is time to end. I am very disappointed. Man, we have a weird job. It's shameful, but uh, eh, it's a living. And like that, he's gone. Holy crimson skies of death! <laughs>